Today on Ag News Daily. First group of 18 farmers in 2006 was, please do this again. It's so important for us as farmers to meet other like-minded farmers and just to be able to tell our own stories. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined as always by my compatriot Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Good, Mike. That's a nice word. I like it. Compatriot. Yes. Yes, indeed. I'm I'm feeling very patriotic after last <laughs> night's rally. Are you? Well, you know, I guess enough to use the word compatriot. <laughs> okay. The root being patriot. Yes. Thank you. A little English yeah. lesson for everyone today. Uh, yeah. Maybe even Latin. I'm not sure what the, the mm. root is for that. But okay. uh, anyway, I, I alluded to the rally. Delaney, tell us what we do yesterday. We talked about it mm. on yesterday's podcast, but if folks missed it, what were we up to? Yeah, well, of course, I'm sure by now everybody's heard the announcement that the E15 ban is going to be lifted. We're going to sell E15 year round. It's going to be a little bit of a difficult task. They've, of course, got to work with the EPA and other administrations to uh, get that pulled through. But we were at the rally yesterday for President Trump, and he addressed a couple of the things specifically impacting ag, like E15 and trade and a couple others. And so, yeah, as, as we mentioned, he made the announcement yesterday, and he mentions that in his speech yesterday, which we're going to play pieces up for you here in just in a second. Could I ask the cameras to just take a swoop of this room, please? They don't like to do that. They don't like to. They like to keep that camera dead set on me and about six people in the background. All wearing hats saying, make farmers great again. We're doing it. I shouldn't. We're a little bit early. I shouldn't say it now, but we're going with E15 year-round. Okay. I made that promise to you during the campaign. I made that promise to you during the primaries. Remember, I made that promise. Promises made, promises kept. Yeah, Delaney, and a, and a couple hits at uh, stabs at journalists there in the mm-hmm. uh, in that clip as well. He did that a few times throughout the I rally. Felt, I felt a little victimized by that. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> a little victimized. <laughs> well, you know, it was it was kind of funny. I didn't see it, of course, uh, listeners. I was sitting down in the press pen. Delaney was up on the risers with the camera, mm-hmm. and uh, you said that there were a few people who turned around and and gestulated at you. Yeah, they gave me the bird. Well, not me in particular, but the whole bunch of us. I mean, they were bashing on like CNN and. NBC and like the more liberal um, news services, but it's like, guys, we're an ag reporter. Like there are other ag journalists up here. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, we all have biases, but I feel like maybe we're a little more fair to President Trump. You know, I think so too. It, and it was brought to my attention that some people think I'm awfully hard on him. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I guess I, I don't think of it that way. I'm broadly in support of what he's doing. It's really just the trade policy that I, that I think he's maybe a little, uh, I wouldn't be doing it the same way. I guess I'll put it that way. Right. Everything else, shoot, let's keep unemployment down. Let's, you know, yeah, and he has keep a clip, America winning. He uh, has a clip, I think, right, Mike, that we're going to play here about the economy and unemployment. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. And so let's kick that in. And this is kind of funny. You know, a lot of people talk about Trump's rallies. They're just as much about policy and actually not that much about policy. They're more about getting people fired up. Yeah. And uh, listen to the end of this clip. You can kind of hear how he works the crowd pretty well. But, yeah, this is him talking about unemployment. More Americans are now working than ever before. Think of that. At this point today, this day, we have more Americans by far working right now, working that have ever worked in our country before. That's a big number. That's a big number. Today I kept another major promise, as I said, to the people of Iowa and Nebraska and other countries. Some people from Nebraska there. What the? Like I said, Nebraska. Okay, so and we have both, by the way, we have both great governors here. And I did that just in case. So ready? I'm going to go Iowa first, then I'm going to go Nebraska. I just want to see who the hell I'm speaking to. Because that was a little shocking what I just heard. So I'm going to go, I'm just curious, okay? Iowa. Nebraska. Well, Mike, as we lead into another clip here from Trump's rally, he talks a lot about trade or talked a lot about trade last night. And I wanted to just I have a quick update here on some trade regarding China. And he talks a little bit last night and says, no, look, China wants to make a deal. And he says that they're not ready yet. Right. He mentioned that Mm -hmm. in his comments last night. Well, I guess part of that is now. Um, China is ready to make a deal. They apparently announced in an interview with NPR the other day that China is, quote, ready to make a deal and, quote, willing to take steps to reduce U.S. trade deficit with China. And that was their Chinese ambassador to the U.S. that made those comments on NPR just the other day. Interesting. Well, folks, this is what President Trump said about China yesterday. So, you know, maybe this announcement will change his tune. 
So if you want to really just keep up what we're doing and keep this country, we have tremendous potential. You know, we're doing well, but we have tremendous potential to grow incredibly. When we get rid of these horrible, disgusting trade deals with China over the last five, six years, we've been losing 300 to 500 billion dollars a year. Billion! Nobody even knows what the hell it is so much. It's ending. It's ending. It's ending. And it's not just China. Well, in other sort of trade-related news, Delaney, uh, Secretary, or, yeah, Sec- Secretary Sonny Perdue came out and said that the next tranche mm-hmm. of U.S. farmer aid might be smaller than the first. You know, of course, growers, remember, we got $12 billion paid out through the, the FSA here for the trade disruptions. And um, a lot of people were anticipating we might see another $12 billion since the price of corn and beans haven't we haven't changed a whole lot since this trade war started, but Secretary Purdue said that because we have re-signed NAFTA, because we have re-signed the South Korean Chorus Free Trade Agreement, that actually we don't have enough trade disputes anymore to keep the the settlements at $12 billion. Now he thinks we're probably going to see about $6 billion going out to farmers, and they'll re- refigure, rejigger how to make these payments go out, but... You know, basically, you can probably assume all the previous payments are just going to be cut right in half. And, you know, I thought this was interesting. Trade, of course, is on everybody's mind, and it certainly was on the president's last night as he was talking to farmers. And he mentioned very specifically and went through in some detail the uh, South Korea trade deal. So I'd like to turn it over and hear President Trump's thoughts on uh, the chorus arrangement. We have finalized a new fair trade deal for South Korea. They don't even talk about it. That's a big deal. We just did a deal, manufacturers, farmers, the deal was so bad, that was a Hillary Clinton deal. She said, no, no, she was Secretary of State. She made a statement today, they're doing a tour, her and her husband or something. And she made a statement, some ridiculous statement. I said, well, that's why she lost the election. She just doesn't get it. She's never gotten it. But she never got it in trade. So she said, we will create 250,000 jobs. And everybody was excited. Unfortunately, she was right, but it was created in South Korea, not in our countries. So... Just another deal. Check it off. Just another horrible deal. We will create 250,000. You know, if she said for South Korea, at least it would have been honest, right? But we've totally renegotiated that. Under the guise of massive tariffs. I said, if you're not going to do it, we're just going to put tariffs and that's it. And they said, let's do it. Come on. Let's do it. Let's make a decent deal. And we've opened it up. For your farmers, for your manufacturers, we've taken a horrible deal and made it a good deal. Made it a good deal. And now we're opening up, or we're going to do something where we do even better, but we're going to open up Japan for trade and the European Union, which is brutal. They are brutal. Sounds so nice. So nice. The European Union sounds so nice, right? They are brutal. But that's because they've had their way. They formed 
in order to take advantage of us on trade. Well, Mike, the final comment I think we really want to play that highlights ag specifically. He didn't talk a lot about ag, but he did talk about some larger ideas that kind of structured around ag. And the final one is labor, which he did talk directly in reference to farm labor. So we want to play that comment as well. Under Republican leadership, America is booming, America is thriving. And America is winning again like never before because we are finally putting America first. The national unemployment rate has fallen to 3.7. You believe that one? 3.7% is the lowest in 50 years. 50. And it's going better. It's going better. Iowa's unemployment rate is 2.5% among the lowest in its history. That we can find. And by the way, we need people helping you. We need people coming in. We need people to run the farms. We're going to have people coming in, but they're going to come in legally. And they're going to come in through merit. Through merit. Well, if anybody wants to listen to the full, I think it was like an hour and 20 minutes of President Trump's speech. I know a lot of people were live streaming it, but if anybody wants the full audio content, feel free to send me or Mike an email. You can reach us, Mike at Ag News Daily or Delaney at agnewsdaily.com. So if, if that's, yeah, I mean, if that's, if that's something that you'd like to do or you want us to upload the podcast with the full audio, we're more than happy to, but. Yeah, we can always create a file and dump it in there if any listeners are interested. But I will forewarn you, it is an hour and 20-some minutes, but probably half of it is the crowd cheering. Wouldn't you yeah. say, Delaney? Yeah. yeah, probably. So, uh, you know, be prepared for hearing a lot of cheering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and cheering at reporters. Yes, yes. Well, you know, actually, speaking of cheering, Delaney, here might be some good news for our partners, our young growers or older growers who might be looking to get their hands on more ground. Farmers National Company has said that the sale of farmland is up 21% versus last year at this time. They said right now it sounds as though a lot of individuals and ownership groups are looking at continuing strength in the farmland markets, decreasing returns as growers push to uh, you know, reduce those cash rents or just payments from corn and soybean crops are starting to drop, and they're saying, hey, now's the time to bail out. So more farms are coming up for sale. We're also seeing auction activity pick up, and... Uh, you know, might be a good time to get out that checkbook if you are in the market for more ground and your lender signs off on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't I mean, just go was, writing a check and then calling them. That was definitely something that we had some questions from producers about last night, too, was lending rates. Where do you see producers falling? Can they afford to keep farming? So I guess this is good information for that the question, that answer to the question. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all good if you can afford it. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, and... That's not a question we can answer real accurately on the podcast because we don't know your bottom line. You can tell us. Yeah. And we'll take a check. (laughs) Make it out to cash. (laughs) Oh, gosh. 
Well, what other news do you have for us, Delaney? Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a little bit of an update on the trade news. I believe earlier this week, Mike, you shared about the EU looking to import more U.S. beef. Mm-hmm. And the EU, their ambassadors today, are set to approve a new round of trade negotiations with Washington, D.C. that will open a larger share of that hormone-free beef quota. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, well, get in there. Get, Get it there. done, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just, I think, yeah. beginning the dialogue today. So it's still a little ways off. But the um, European trade attache told reporters that he, quote, wants to negotiate swiftly. Oh, perfect. Swiftly is good. That's what we want to hear. Yes. Well, I've got just a very quick update here. The Syngenta corn lawsuit. Listeners, of course, remember that one. Syngenta was sued for $151 billion for selling MIR-162 corn seed before Mm. it was approved in China. And if you grew any kind of corn during the period, and I don't have that handy what it was. I think it was Vectera, right, Uh, from 2009. But it wasn't just Vectera because the corn, because it affected all corn growers by knocking the price of corn down. I think it was 2000. 12 yeah. to 15. Whatever. Here's, I think you're probably right about that. But if you've got questions, you can only sign up through this Friday. So you've got three days left to go to get your hand into that honeypot. Um, get on the Internet. Go to www.cornseedsettlement.com. And uh, they say it's quick and easy, but uh, it has to be in by December or, excuse me, October 12th, this coming Friday, if you're going to get, you know, any of your three or four dollars back from (laughs) yeah you won't get a lot huh no but in this day and age hey i'm not too proud for a couple of bucks like literally three or four dollars no we have no idea okay we know of that 151 billion attorneys are going to get half right so whatever's left is probably going to be split you know 75 billion amongst however many farmers sign up Mm -hmm. which we have no idea at this point not a clue not a clue let's see we'll make the only other um it's news e. I was just reading an interesting article today. It's titled "Refugee Soybeans in the Dakotas Seek a Home After China mm-hmm. Stops Buying as Part of the Trade War." So I know we've had this discussion. We had this discussion with producers when we kind of did our little mini farm tour, and that's just about soybean basis and the Pacific Northwest, the PNW train line, because a lot of the Dakota soybeans get sent to Asian countries, and China was a large part of how their market really grew. 70% of their soybeans leave the state for the Pacific Northwest and virtually 100% of that goes to China. And that's according to the North Dakota Soybean Council, one of the soybean growers there and chairman of the council. And so it's interesting, I think, just to see kind of what's been happening with grain elevators and the Dakota's basis is widened dramatically as we talked about before on the podcast We've seen it go from about 70 cents, 70 cents to a dollar per bushel is normal for this time of year. And now it's closer to a dollar 55 to two dollars a bushel yeah. of basis. And yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, so it's also created some problems because they've tried to redirect soybeans to now be exported down and shipped down to the Gulf of Mexico ports, which has created a lot of uh, a lot of uh, traffic for the ports. So the the ports down there are having a hard time handling all of the traffic now because they weren't built for this much movement right. or traffic. 
So I or if they were, it was supposed to come out of Iowa and Illinois, right. and now it's coming out of North Dakota, which is hurting our bases. Yeah. So it's really. I just think that that's interesting. I'm going to share this article on our Facebook and Twitter. If you guys are interested in reading it, I thought it was a pretty interesting article and really gives some insight into um, the Dakota growers, how they're feeling this harvest season. Yeah, it sucks up there. I was talking to a guy and he said his local business, he was about 40 miles west of Fargo. He said his local business was a week or two ago, Mm. was a buck 80 under. And he said, that's when you can get a bid. A lot of elevators have just quit buying because they're either full or they're like, you know, we don't have a place to go with it, so we're going to fill up the bins with corn and wheat, and uh, you know, we're just done buying beans. Yeah, I know. So, I think that's crazy. Like, they're just really, they're literally shutting off mm-hmm. buying soybeans. Yeah. Put them in a bin at home or yeah. put them in a pile. It's, you know, yeah. your problem is what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just have one other piece of news, and it ties in yesterday with President Trump's announcement of E15. There was a lot of reporting on the source saying that uh, Trump approves E15 to please farmers, which then angers oil refiners. And, uh, you know, it's kind of corn versus oil is how that conversation has been set up. However, there was a report by a U.N. the Climate Change Council or committee at the U.N., came out and said, we are going to see huge amounts of climate change unless we do unprecedented changes in how the world consumes energy. And, of course, they're always saying stuff like this. But what surprised me is that major oil companies have come on board and said this is a call to action. The chief executive of BP uh, told an oil and money conference in London that this is an indication that we need to do something big. Royal Dutch Shell, BP and ExxonMobil have all come out in support of this. And Delaney, Mm -hmm. do you know one of the quickest ways oil companies can reduce their, whatever, greenhouse gas emissions? Uh, I don't know, blending with ethanol or blending with... Blending with ethanol. You hit the nail on the head. Okay. Uh, So maybe there's not such a big difference there between ethanol producers and oil producers, but we'll see. Maybe. Well, that does it for my news, and that does it for uh, for Trump's rally. Delaney, do you have anything else we need to get to? I don't think so, Mike. Should we get into today's markets? Let's do it, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, they can help you put all the markets in perspective and manage a marketing plan to reduce risk on your bottom line. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. And we've got a lot of red on the screen in the grain markets today. Looking at the December corn contract, we're down one and three quarter cents at 362 and three quarters. The March also off one and three quarters to finish at 374 and three quarters. Soybeans took it on the chin. The November new crop contact, excuse me, old crop now, down at 10 and three quarter cents at 8.52 and a quarter. January also dropped 10 and three quarters to close at 8.66 even. Chicago wheat, December contract down four and a half at 5.10 and a half. The March down four to close the day at 5.31 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock again, more red on the screen as money just fled the commodities in general today. October live cattle down $1.2750 at 1127.5. The December down 6750 finished at 116.4750. In feeder cattle, the October down a dollar and a nickel at 155.90. November off a dollar thirty-two and a half to finish at 156.1750. And in lean hogs, the October contract dropped 27.5 cents at 68.47 and a half. The December down 
62.50, closed the day at 55.95. And of course, we'll see if dairy was able to have a different change, and they weren't. The October Class 3 milk contract down 6 cents at 15.74, the November down 11 at 15. And folks, next week begins the World Food Prize in Des Moines, Iowa, and we will once again be talking with the Global Farmer Roundtable. So we want to bring you an update on that from our friend Bruce Gorder, who had a conversation with Mary Boo. The World Food Prize next week in Des Moines is a huge event in itself. One of the more fascinating side events is the Global Farmer Network Roundtable. It brings together farmers from around the world to discuss successes and challenges. Mary Bode is the CEO of the network and tells us that they have been doing this for a while now. This is the 13th annual event. started in 2006, very quietly actually, Bruce, because, you know, anytime there's a new event, you're not quite sure, is this the right thing, how will it work out, and we thought doesn't go well that well then then on we go um, and one of the original outtakes of that first group of 18 farmers in 2006 was please do this again it's so important for us as farmers to meet other like-minded farmers and just to be able to tell our own stories and to connect not only with farmers but also with the other people who are in the room the researchers the government and policy leaders um, it, it was a valuable thing, and we have taken their word, and this will be number 13. So, number 13, what are the major topics you're going to be looking at this year, Mary? Well, the World Food Prize um, itself is focusing on rising to the challenge of enhancing nutrition. And our farmers will always talk about their shared mission with all the rest of us to make sure that we're producing enough nutritious, affordable, accessible food, um, and do it in a sustainable manner. So clearly, any of the technology tools that are going to be available or that these farmers say are necessary to to provide food that is nutritious and to maximize what they're doing to produce that will be a big part of their agenda. I think we're also going to talk about um, a, what are the policies in your country that are a challenge or prevent or perhaps presenting an opportunity to get food where it's needed. I think um, clearly the issue of trade is top of mind for so many of us around the world. It's not U.S. specific. It's clearly a global issue. And how do we get food from areas of plenty to areas of scarcity, including the nutritious food? That will be part of it. And then um, also we're going to be talking a little bit about policy in different countries and what are the potential policy challenges that are um, being faced in specific countries and and how can we learn from each other to either deal with them, to adapt, or to to share our stories to not only um, impact policy decisions, but also to give our consumers confidence. Talk about the different corners of the world, all corners of the world you bring farmers in. Uh, Talk about some of the, the places where they're coming from this year. This year we're bringing in 11 farmers, um, Argentina, Australia, India, Ireland, for the first time ever, a farmer from Japan, uh, Kenya, Mexico, Nigeria, the Philippines, and then we always have one farmer from the United States there as well. Now, all these farmers have one thing in common. They're trying to do the best they can to feed not only their population, but to feed the world. But they've all got a different story, and it's just fascinating to listen to all the different stories, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Um, just very briefly, uh, Bill Crabtree coming from Australia. He's been farming in Western Australia, which is basically the driest part one of the drier parts of the world. He's growing spring wheat and canola. He uses no-till. He's been a long-time um, supporter of farmer access to innovative technologies. He's also personally working with several with farmers in several countries in Africa because they they while they while it seems so different, um, dealing with drought and using different agronomic systems to to be sustainable, as you said, to grow not only enough fam- food for your family but for other families as well is an important part in sharing that information and, and adapting. Um, Mr. Miss Atsumi, um, Amy Godo is coming from Japan. She raises green tea. Uh, she's got beef cattle. She's also um, grows some rice. On a family farm in Japan, we are so excited to learn from her. She's been involved um, also with the Japanese Young Leaders Association. She's been involved in several APEC meetings. So clearly issues about trade and as as um, looking from a U.S.-centric view right now, if you'll allow me, um, as we talk about potential free trade agreement discussions with Japan, it would be so interesting to have a young Japanese farmer, um, and she's, a, a, I believe, a fifth-generation farmer. Uh, to be part of that conversation. Nigeria, um, I am anxious for all of you to meet Patience Koku. I actually met Patience last um, May. She was part of a group that the Global Pharma Network has partnered with the Cornell Alliance for Science in doing a farmer's leadership course, a one-week course, kind of a crash course in in talking about technology, innovative technology, and what are the challenges that you're facing in your country, and and how do you give the consumers confidence that you're selling to that that you having that technology is going to be good for for the farm, for your country, but also for them. And um, Patience is a former fashion designer. Uh, she and her husband both left. Actually, they were well renowned in their um, in their individual industries, but have a passion for farming and have um, left it, and they have found it, and they manage a farm called Replenish Farms. They grow soy, maize, rice, vegetables, along with some seeds. They are using um, irrigation, a lot of it drip irrigation. They have just stormed the world, and um, Patience, is she's a force of nature, and I am anxious for her to be part of this discussion because I think not only does she bring the the Western, the Eastern Africa um, perspective to the challenges, but also some opportunities, but also a global view on on the importance of talking together and sharing technologies and agronomic issues and figuring out how best to move your own country forward. And and so, again, all over the board, but very excited to have you guys meet these farmers. Well, it's going to be another another fascinating roundtable. Mary, if uh, someone wants more information on your organization, the Global Farmer Network, how can they find you? On the website at www.globalfarmernetwork.org, or you can call me personally at our office at 515-274-0800. We'll have all the information for you regarding this event, um, but also uh, what the Global Farmer Network is doing every day around the world. That's Mary Boat. She is the CEO of the Global Farmer Network. And for Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. Well, again, that was uh, Mary Boot there. And as Mike mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking to some international farmers next week. So do stay tuned for that. If you're going to be coming up to the World Food Prize, feel free to get a hold of us on Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily. Share with us your thoughts about this year's event. 
Or if you just want to connect with us in general, you can find us there as well. Mike, where can folks head if they want to listen to past episodes of the podcast? Listen to every episode we have ever, ever produced, plus a few of our bonus episodes, by going to agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.